1: We've been a band for almost nine and a half years. And when we first started day one, Mark and I had diarrhea of the mouth so bad. But now there's people watching us. But the thing with with MTV and with the radio, we've always sing songs about girls, love, and just teenage angst. So you have these... uh, just 90, 90% of the people that bought our record that might not have ever seen us before, uh, just, God, they they'll probably... They'll learn their lesson after this tour. I mean, rap. they'll come see a show <laughs> and have no idea what kind of humans we really are, but we've been this way forever. I mean, all the Punker kids knew it, I mean... Sure. That's, but those shows were only 400 people and they all had mohawks and blue hair or whatever, but now you have fans... It has to do with the mohawk here tonight. Yeah, we love it when really? <laughs> Punker yeah. a
0: little credibility. Wow.
2: <laughs> I took her out it was a Friday night, I woke alone to get the feeling right. We started making out and she took off my pants, but then I turned on the TV. And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're
1: And welcome to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Travis, got my brother Quentin with me, and we got our Jansport backpacks on today, Q. We got our, we got our, our put-in packs, <laughs> and dude. we got our, I got my trapper keeper. Do you have your boots tied up? Boots tied tight. I mean, I hope that today I, I don't get in a fight. Why is that, dude? Because we're going back to school today, Q.
2: I got my lunch packed up, my boots tied tight. I hope I don't get in a fight. Oh, back to school. Back to school. Back to school.
1: So, if you didn't listen to the last couple episodes where we teased what what this is going to be exactly, Key, why don't you tell them what we got in store for the people? Yeah, so we just a few weeks back started a list of bands that we were listening to back in high school. And we realized that most of those bands actually released albums during our high school years. So it's not like we were just listening to the Beatles or Zeppelin or something like that. Cause that's boring, right? We... <laughs> Cause nobody wants to hear the Beatles or Zeppelin. Nobody wants to hear the Beatles. Why would they, hear, why would they want that thing when they could hear Blankway or two? Dude, let me, let me tell you something. There's way better careful podcasts oh. in this network. <laughs> There's way better podcasts in this network if you want to dive into some Zeppelin. Let's not tell ourselves too short. We might do an episode on Zeppelin at some point and it'll be it'll be what it is, you know. It'll be us talking about Zeppelin. But, you know, we're not going to be able to tell you anything that you 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 don't already know about Zeppelin, right? Yeah. But right now, dude, we're going back to school. We're going back to school and I think that we can bring some artists to the table here, aside from maybe the one we're talking about today, that you may have never heard of before. Uh music styles that you may have never given a fair shot. Uh and we'll we're you know, we're gonna we're gonna basically have lots of nostalgia between the two of us uh in the in the next few months for sure. It's gonna be heavy, man. Like real heavy. Some of these bands I haven't listened to Since high school, or at least close to it. that's right. So we're starting off with Blink-182. And I think this is a great way to to ease us in here. Because we've been hanging out in the 90s the last few months. And the album Recovering is their third studio record, Enema of the State, which came out in 1999. And this is, I'd say, our first dive into pop-punk music specifically I mean it, it aside from when we talked about the history of emo music and talked about Jimmy world um, which you know it, it kind of comes from punk right and so like one of the branches off of punk is is in uh, like hardcore is emo obviously right. I don't know if we've talked about punk at all really uh, I may have well I may have talked about it a little bit when we were leading up to our strokes. Okay. Episode only because bit, yeah. you know I was I was talking a lot about quote unquote garage rock, yeah, which definitely has a lot of the same like aspects where it's you know power chords or you know super simple melodies and verse chorus verse chorus kind of stuff. Um, a simple melody. See exactly, <laughs> dude. you you're jumping the gun, <laughs> man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. I guess we, you know, I don't think we've devoted a full uh, episode to a punk, a proper punk band, and obviously we can argue whether or not they would be a proper punk band and what that means. But as far as like we were concerned when we were twelve years old, this was punk rock, and we were rebellious for listening to it, right? Which is hilarious if you think about it in retrospect. But that's what makes Blink two so interesting is is that they were. Uh, you know, they they catapulted into the into the, the 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 stars, if you will, um, with their appearance on you know TRL MTV all the time. Um, they became you know the face of of punk rock and and became so mainstream. It's hard to say if if, if any punk band has has received that kind of attention since then, you know. I mean, they were just jai goddamn enormous. yeah they were huge in the early 2000s early early 2000s right after enema of the state came out and with the help of the music videos that they were in and mtv yeah they really did which the the tippy top uh, yeah. you know it feels like it was one of those like perfect storm type moments where like all the, the pieces were there for them to be successful yeah. i feel like if it wasn't for mtv they probably wouldn't have been as successful because of how crazy that music video was, you know, and it's pretty tame in retrospect. They're just running around the streets of LA naked, you know, but that kind of antics, you know, is perfect for MTV. So they were probably number one at some point, I'm sure on the, on the TRL top 10. Oh yeah, dude. Right alongside corn, you know, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, probably Jennifer Lopez, Britney Spears. But that's the, that's the brilliance of it, man. We're jumping the gun, but that's the brilliance of it. Because remember, all the small things, they were making fun of boy bands. And I, I bet you they were sharing that list with actual boy bands, you with, know? With yeah, Backstreet pretty Boys. Pretty funny. Yeah, dude. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah this is our first episode um, in our little back to school segment. Uh, most of the bands we're going to be talking to, ap- or talking, I wish we were talking to, talking <laughs> about going forward will be you know 2000 or later during our high school years this band however we were into in our middle school years so we were still you know prepubescent you know <laughs> little little punks um pretending to be punks we weren't punks yeah but this allowed us to pretend like we were without even having to dye our hair you know oh we dyed our hair though, yeah too. but that was different that's like highlights. Okay, it's not like we did blue sure. hair. Yeah, but I spiked it, man. Yeah, sure, I spiked that's, all of it. That's tame. Well, d- hey, dude, I feel like that's the perfect definition of of the kind of punk that Blink One Eighty Two represents. Tame. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, so I was diving into the history of of punk, and it's just like I don't want to spend a whole episode on it. So I I narrowed it down to just pop punk specifically. That's where these guys fall under. And what that is is basically, you know, structuring your songs in the basic verse, chorus, verse, using simple chord progressions, catchy melodies, and really, like, I don't know. The, the lyrics are super lighthearted and more like, I don't know, about easy stuff like teenage romance and like growing up and like, you know, going against your parents and shit. As opposed to like the really like political heavy kind of lyrics of of typical punk rock. Yeah, like the the you know rebellious like, like the Sex anti government, anti black flag, anti corporation. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's the thing. If you're a hardcore punk fan and you've been with the movement since it started, Blink One Eighty Two is not a punk band. Period. Right. Pop punk is not punk. I actually have a quote here, Q, from from uh, John L- Lydon of the Sex Pistols. Is he, is he talking about Blink Ninety yeah, Two? He was asked to comment Ooh. on them. I was looking for stuff like that, man. I was I was craving it. it. He he. This is a searing indictment. Lay it on me. Basically, he just he just said it like this. It's just a bunch of silly boys, an imitation of a comedy act. <sighs> Okay, but here's the deal: Blink One Eighty Two would would be like, yeah, dude, but he gets us right, man. exactly. So that's that's another thing I wanted to talk about. Like, and I don't know if you do you have any more to talk about with the history here. Like, how did we get to Blink? Well, it kind of started with the Ramones, or around that time from in New York in the seventies, where it, like I said, it became more about writing short and sweet, catchy tunes on the more like lighthearted side as far as the lyrics go. Before that, it was all about going counterculture before punk. You think about like bands like ELO or, uh, Pink Floyd, you know, or yes, where if you weren't like a decades old musician, you know, like classically trained or whatever, you weren't going to start a band. You know, and so there was like a a separation between the musician and the audience. Punk was all about getting rid of that wall. And then that's when CBGB opened up in New York in the 70s. And they were just letting anyone basically who said, Hey, we're a band, we would love to be heard, they'll let them up on stage. Before that, if you didn't have a record, if you weren't tied to a record label, you weren't going to be playing a show. So that was a big part of it was you know punk became more about hey, anyone can fucking do this, you know, yeah, um, if, uh, dude, you wanna talk about and it's funny that that you just said that, like anybody can do this. That was probably one of the reasons that we latched on to blink when we were twelve. That's exactly when we picked up the drumsticks and the guitar, you know,
2: right, how right. easy
1: was it to start playing blink when I do songs super yeah well shit let me not say that for drumming because you know travis parker i know man travis parker's we talked about this last week um when we talked about post malone's Nirvana tribute and travis parker was behind the kit like he's one of the best drummers uh of all time easily easily and yeah but for the guitar i mean simple power chords Somewhat simple guitar, easy little single note picking kind of guitar melodies and stuff. Really easy to pick up yeah. if you're a beginner guitar player like I was when I was 12. So yeah, I mean, that was kind of the beauty of it. Anybody could get together and, and do... And that's the that's the essence of punk rock, right? So Yeah, and, and we started to see a change, like I said. Started in New York with the Ramones. Um, and then just a bunch of bands started popping up in California in the 90s. And that's when... Punk or pop punk broke into the mainstream. Bands like Green Day, The Offspring, Blink One Eighty Two. These are all bands from California, and yeah, they they created that formula and you know turned it into a, a more lighthearted, you know, upbeat, more you know poppy kind of music stuff. You that that could make its way to the radio before that punk was nowhere near the mainstream yeah so that it, it, this seems to happen with with all genres right like it starts in in the underground like a, you know with the with the small pockets of of the scene wherever the scene originated and then it makes its way into mainstream and just kind of becomes almost a, a parody of itself you know right and yeah. you know that was the case was the case with heavy metal obviously time and time again um, with Metallica, especially as far as like the heights that they achieved and the mainstream success that they achieved. Right. Uh, but yeah, but I think blink Two and Green Day too, right? Dookie is probably the first pop punk uh, or, or punk band to, to, to sell as many records as it did. Yeah. So Dookie came out in 94. They sold 10 million copies. Yeah, Uh, and that was also uh, around that time is when punk was starting to find its way onto larger, you know, mainstream record labels or record labels that they started themselves. Um, But again, a lot of this was coming out of California. Uh, And with Blink-182, it was about, you know, lighthearted, fun, raunchy, teen angst kind of lyrics with... Power chords and fast tempo songs. Do you want to play a song, dude? Let's go ahead and play Let's do it, yeah. There's there's quite a few songs on here that we could play. There's only two singles, right? What's My Age Again and All the Small Things. And Adam's song, too. Oh, and Adam's song. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about Adam's song for sure, because that that is a standout track on the record and has got its own kind of legacy. Yeah. Separate from this record's legacy. So, yeah, we'll talk about that, too. Yeah, dude, let's play the first song. And, we, dude... Not that we have to say this, but you and I could recite these lyrics, you know, without even looking at the lyrics. Oh, yeah. I know these songs inside and out. What do you want to start with, dude? Well, I mean, we typically go in the order of the record, so. Do you want to do Don't Leave Me? Let's do Aliens Exist. All right.
2: You know me.
1: So here's what I like about this song, um, compared to most of the the subject matter on the record, is that he's literally talking about uh, some experience he had when he was growing up. Uh, Tom, who wrote the lyrics, and he's talking about like you know conspiracy theories and aliens and like the CIA, you know, is 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 lying to us. And the lyrics are presented in a in a very basic, dumbed down way, but it's not. They're not talking about girls. They're not talking about diarrhea. They're not talking about dysentery and all the other stuff that they sing about. Like they're, they're talking about something, you know, kind of cool. If you like X-Files like I do, then you can get, you can get down with this, you know? Yeah. I always like this, this song too. And dude, I, so I wasn't aware of this, but you told me a couple of weeks back, Tom is now chasing UFOs. Is that correct? Here's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't even Uh, named off the roster, but we got Tom DeLonge. Do we have to? Everybody knows Mark, Tom, and Travis. No. We'll do it. No. It's Tom DeLonge on bass, Mark Hoppus on guitar, Travis Barker on drums, and Tom and Mark alternate singing. Uh, That was Tom singing. So they have two very distinct voices, which I think has always kind of helped with the appeal of Blink, because Mark has a very different flair than tom does so you get a lot of different varieties and in, in in the way that the singing sounds throughout the records personally i've always been a fan of tom's no not tom i've always been a fan of mark's voice over tom's but really
0: i um, like him both it, dep- dude.
1: it depends it, you that's the, the, the beauty of it is it wouldn't be blank without both of them um and it's not like i hate songs that tom sings and i just like mark's voice tom has got the very distinct way that he sings and the way that he uh like he has this accent that he kind of throws on to songs that's so very distinct. But anyway, um yeah. So that's the roster. Um what I wanted to say, yes, so what you said. And this has been in the news lately because one of the reasons that he left Blink for the second time um was to pursue this full-time. Like he is a basically he's a UFO researcher now. And he, from what I've read, I haven't read too much into it, but he is a part of this group, I think, that he maybe founded or joined that is essentially trying to get the government to release information, right? And over the last few weeks, I think we've all read the stories, right, that the government has confirmed about this, I think, I, I want to say this is the same, and I might be wrong about this, but I think this is the same tapes or videos that um, Joe Rogan talked about with some guy on the Joe Rogan experience. Uh, these three videos that show mysterious objects in the sky containing audio of pilots trying to make sense of what they were seeing. Mm-hmm. So basically the, the Navy or the government came out and said, Yes, those tapes are real, and yes, we classify them as UFOs. Not meaning aliens, obviously, just meaning unidentified objects, right? But anyway, so he he is a member of this group, um, along with some other members of, you know, the defense, previous members of the defense and stuff like that, that sort of, you know, try to get information, basically. So anyway, it's funny because I'm, you know, when you Google this. You'll read headlines like Tom DeLonge of blink Two might be responsible for proving that aliens exist, which is the throwback to the song, right? So it's kind of funny, but it's like this whole full circle thing. He's been yeah. thinking about this stuff his whole life, basically. Well, yeah, and when I, you know, listening to the song when you're when you're twelve years old back in ninety nine, I just thought it was a funny song, like you know, yeah, uh, the whole idea behind aliens existing, dude. I mean, when did when did Independence Day come out? I feel like that was probably yeah, around that time, probably. 90s were all about the new age like spiritual kind of stuff. We were used to it, you know. Yeah, so listen to this here. I got so I'm reading it. There's a interview that he did with the New York Times. And they're asking him like um hey, you're a musician and you're known for outlandish stage behavior, including sometimes being naked. How did you get people to take you seriously? And he basically says that uh that being a celebrity helped get some doors open as far as like having conversations with people as far as like trying to be taken seriously. Um, But he's saying that his intellect, whatever level it may be, may or may not be is what he says is what got those meetings to bear fruit. So I thought that was interesting. That means that he's, he was able to basically get the door open and have conversations with important people because of his celebrity status, but they wouldn't have taken him seriously if he didn't have research and material to back it up. So he's, you know, he didn't go in there and take his clothes off, obviously. (laughs) Right. Right. So he was able to, based on his research and stuff and his intellect, as he says, uh, get this foundation started and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, the reason I say that is because I was listening to some interviews, recent interviews of Mark and Travis and Travis is always kind of more quiet anyway. Dude, That's always he's, been. yeah, he's infam- infamously quiet. Yeah, yeah. But Mark, uh, you know, he doesn't really come off like he's got much to say. Okay. I hate to say that. But anyway, um, when you listen to the lyrics of Blink Right Two songs, I mean, he didn't need to say anything deep, obviously, <laughs> with these records. But anyway, um, alright, enough talk about Aliens. But I, yeah, it's just really funny that Tom wrote a song called Aliens Exist uh, over 20 years ago, and now he's getting answers for the people more power to him he's trying to prove to us that aliens exist so anyway um let's talk about travis a little bit here okay unless you want to actually you know what? let's play another clip let's play our next song and then we'll talk about travis because i found out some stuff that that uh, i mean my respect level for travis has always been super high but now it's even higher after reading some of this stuff here so awesome well dude this is one of my favorite songs on the record uh so this is the next track it's track 4. It this is called Going Away to College.
2: But you're so beautiful to me I'll think about the times She kissed me after class and she put up with my friends I acted like an ass I teach my lecture To watch the coastal soccer is my picture Of all time, and I'm so unprepared. So here's your Valentine, bouquet of clumsy words, a simple melody. This world's a lovely place, but you're so beautiful. This a lovely
1: place, but you're so beautiful. That might be the perfect Blink 182 song, as far as like it. It really does incorporate everything that makes a Blink song a Blink song. You know what I mean? I love the lyrics, dude. Like thinking back to being in middle school and listening to the songs like this. It's fucking perfect for for that. Yeah, because that was it like spoke our language, really. Well, yeah, and that was something that we were like looking forward to, like going to college and stuff. And it was so like, yeah, grown up, you know. And like we looked, the up, to, we looked to college, up to idea of going to college. People yeah. that were that age, and we looked up sure. to even high school kids in '99. Right, right. Well, so I mean, and you know, we could still relate to some of this stuff, like yeah, uh, you know, uh, is my picture still hanging in her locker? Uh, you know, if young love is just a game, then I must have missed the kickoff. <laughs> Can't tell you how many times I sad sacked myself <laughs> with thoughts like that back in the day. Mark is quoted as saying, that's the thing about our lyrics. Yeah, they might be specific to high school or college, but the things that happen to you in high school are the same things that happen to you throughout your entire life. You can fall in love at 60. You can get rejected at 80. Yeah, so that's the thing, man. If if you if you uh, dismissed Blink One Eighty Two simply because of their lyrics, and you just thought, "Oh, this is just a band that's only trying to relate to high school kids or middle school kids," well, then you're not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you, plenty of people who are in middle school or high school have much worse problems to deal with than some of that stuff, right? So not everybody's gonna have the experience of like, um, oh, you know, my biggest problem today is that I know mean, I'm nervous about asking this girl to the dance or whatever, you know what I mean right but so here, here's what I here's what I read, some stuff that I read about and, and this is what I've always wondered about bands that write that clearly write for an audience that is teenagers, right adults that are writing for teenagers. Here's what. Mark had to say about their lyrics and stuff like that. And he was referring specifically to the Mark, Tom and Travis show record, the concert specifically that that was like recorded. And they sing a bunch of songs about all sorts of wacky shit, right? Vulgar stuff. And he said, you just know that parents are hauling their kids out of our shows going, you'll never listen to that band again. And then he says, that'll make kids want to listen to us more. It's our cunning plan for world domination. (laughs) Critics don't get it, but kids do because we talk exactly like they talk to each other. Yeah. We don't put ourselves above the kids. We are the kids. So they knew exactly what they were doing the whole time, obviously. Well, and that's kind of like with that intro clip that I played, Tom was like, you know, we've had diarrhea of the mouth always and forever since we've started hanging out as friends. Like. And but now we've got people that are paying attention. So, like people are coming to our show for the first time because they picked up this record, and you know we're fucking around and and cursing up a storm in, in between each song, and they're and they're just finding out like who we are as human beings. Like, you know, we're just a bunch of fucking punks from San Diego. You know? Yeah, and and you know, in particular, what maybe makes them not be the punk rock band that writes about anti-politics, anti-corporations and all that stuff, is that they actually grew up in a middle-class suburban, you know, Southern California area. So they didn't have the problems that some of these some of these other punk rock bands had. They didn't have the, they didn't grow up in the environment that some of these people grew up in. They grew up in, you know, a very, Kush kind of life. You know what I mean? Right. They had a good middle-class suburbs. Yeah. yeah. Here's another, here's a quote from Delange from Tom. Nobody calls him by their last name. <laughs> he says the Californian middle-class suburbs have nothing to be that bummed about. So there you go. Yeah. So, so that's why they're, that's why their subject matter is so juvenile, you know? Right. Right. But Hey dude, what better way to start our, our back to school, Stint, you know what I mean? Yeah. So Pitchfork, we've talked about them before. I've actually come around to them. It it was the articles that they were writing back when we were had our music blog Mm -hmm. that just seemed to be written just to piss people off. Yeah, it really did, man. I mean, because you can you can totally see, uh, and it's probably just they they've hired better writers, is my guess. But anyway, they're doing a thing. I don't know how often they do it but they revisit classic records and um only and the rule is it must not be something that they covered previously like they, they didn't cover it when it came out they didn't have something in their archive okay devoted to it right so they wrote an article on this uh I think I think it came out this year let me let me verify so uh, as we mentioned Eminem of the state came out in in 99 so it received a lot of attention last year because it was the 20th anniversary, right? Yeah. And they did a tour where they where they played just the, the album and yada, yada, right? So it got a lot of like, in him of the state 20 years later, like a lot of those kind of uh, articles are written about it. Pitchfork did one January of this year before, you know, the world went to shit queue. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he said, and this is kind of, I like the way that he phrased this. He, talking about them before and like leading up to end of the State, what they began doing quite well and to excess was simple. Record the pouty concerns of middle-class kids in a plain spoken language they could understand, set to addictive melodies and played at moshing speed. So there you go. Pouty concerns of middle-class kids. <laughs> that must have been you and IQ because we were all over this shit yeah dude and we had a good childhood man we did yeah i mean we had our we had our our typical uh issues that some kids probably have too but uh, you know we didn't we didn't have to struggle for anything you know negligible issues man yeah exactly yeah so yeah anyway um we didn't really talk about what what about that song in particular to me what i like about it and probably what you like about it too i love that shift that happens in uh, the chorus i guess when when it kind of uh shifts into i haven't been this scared in a long time that shift mm-hmm. that happens i love that i love the breakdown in the middle where travis kind of does a little what, what do you want to call you you're the drummer tell me what what right, he's doing on, there. what are you talking about let's play it this part mm-hmm. it's this, kind of like the the drum roll kind of thing like the marching yeah, kind of yeah. stuff yeah the thing that he's doing there and man. yeah you know with most of the songs like he's just got these great fills that he throws in oh yeah man you know that's what he's really good at yeah and that's what that's what elevated their their music beyond uh what they were doing with their first two records because their first two records they had a different drummer yeah Scott Rayner. Scott Rayner, yeah so um here's something that I learned about Travis Barker cube that I didn't realize apparently even though he didn't receive any songwriting credits on in of the state he arranged all of the songs on that record selected the tempos organized the flow of like the verse chorus and the breaks and all that stuff so that right there where we talked about that bridge yeah that that's that probably, probably something that came from him which is amazing because I mean he deserves a lot of of credit for probably getting them to to the success that they had. So lyrics know? and melody still come from Mark and Tom. Yeah, but he kind of organized okay. hey, we'll do verse, chorus, verse, we'll do this break. Cool. Come back to the chorus. That kind of thing. So that's a that's a big deal, you know? Yeah. So he was a member of um the Aquabats, another another punk band, uh, when he he joined blink Two. And I've got a quote here from the singer of Aquabats. He says, without Travis, Mark and Tom would have been, at best, a lukewarm poser pop punk band. A couple of, listen to this, this, is hilarious, dude. A couple of hot dogs wiggling around in a bucket. <laughs> 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 that is amazing. That is uh, awesome. Because, yeah, that's, but anyway, obviously, what he's trying to say is like, Travis is responsible for blank becoming blank. And I I agree with that, dude. I mean, really. Yeah. A drummer, it's amazing what a good drummer can do, right? We we know we know that Beatles aren't the Beatles without Ringo, you know. We know that. So anyway, um all right, dude. Let's let's talk about our last track here. And this is actually one of my favorites on the record. I don't know why it <laughs> is, but maybe after hearing it. I don't even know what song you you're you're going with here, dude. Uh Mutt. Okay. Cool. Let's play the end of the record. All right, here we go. some of you may recognize that from the American pie soundtrack Mm. uh, that was featured on that movie. Um, But yeah, I just love, I love the vibe. Uh, It's got a very like, I mean, as does the whole record really, but it's just got this great summertime vibe, dude. Just like, and I'm, you know, we probably, I, I know I've listened to this record in the car driving around in high school, you know, over and over again, back in the day. And it just it just reminds me of, of better times too, you know? <laughs> simpler times, man, simpler times, and this song in particular, for whatever reason, and the lyrics are really funny too. so uh Tom uh, wrote wrote the lyrics for this one, and he says here it's a song that he wrote about his friend Benji, a professional surfer who has sex all the time. His name's Benji, but everyone nicknamed him mutt, and it's just a song about a guy and a girl who like to have sex and who don't really care about much of anything else so that's what it's about (laughs) and like when you look at the lyrics they're really funny too the one of the lyrics that always stood out to me was he took the seat off his own bike because the way that it felt i just think that's funny uh you know and like he wants to bone this i know she is ready to blow they go out every night his pants are super tight it's just funny stuff man it's about it's about a couple of a couple of jokesters who like to sex all the time. <laughs> like to, sex. You like to sex They like all the to time. sex it up all the time, and, and you know he says, "There." You know, I like this too. They've often they've typically been starved for attention. Yeah, I like that. Too. She's open, waiting for more. Now, when I was a kid, I don't know if I put all of all this stuff together, oh, I put you know, it together as far dude. as what it's about so hang on now is tom making fun of this guy is this like a, yeah, a fucking like a pop your collar kind of dude bro it it's it's a surfer dude um because so this was a roommate of tom's professional surfer who has sex all the time that's it that's what it's about you know that's the thing the the beauty of blank Raina too is you there's there's nothing to these lyrics you know right I've always liked the, the the feeling of the song. I connected to to, to better times, not the lyrics. I just like the, the the vibe of the song. It, it's got a very like carefree vibe to it, yeah. and I like the way that they structured the song. We talked about the drumming was really great. Uh, the way that they have sort of the the breakdown again, they do that really well. They do these like bridges, and as I said earlier, that's probably all due to Travis and the way that he arranged these songs. You know, right that's awesome man yeah I didn't know that and the base the baseline was really great too yeah uh, you know anyway so yeah uh, what a perfect way to, to segue into adamandeve.com talk about sex <laughs> well there's no place better you get all the all the materials you need all the tools you need to spice it up in that bedroom let's just put it this way dude that guy didn't have to take the seat off his bike you could have just gone to AdamandEve.com and picked out a nice toy. You don't need to do that, dude. No, dude. You can go to AdamandEve.com. And you can you can uh, get all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that that's gonna that's gonna feel way better than the pole that's sticking up <laughs> out of your bike that the seat if, sits on. If that is, in fact, what they were talking about. But yeah, dude, if it is, you can get that toy for 50% off right now, man, if he uses the no filler promo code. Hell yeah, you he can. Uh, and then for his lover who's open waiting for more Mm -hmm. uh, he can get a free gift for himself in addition to that gift that he bought and he can get one for her or him and maybe he's swinging both ways nowadays who knows Uh, whatever he wants man what else can he get for free he can get six free spicy movies dude to really get things going in the bedroom these sex addicts You know, they don't know what they've been missing. Not only that, he can also get free shipping. That's it, dude. There's nothing else to get. That's it. There's nothing else that he wants. That's it. So that's AdamAndEve.com. Enough about about this guy. Anybody can go to that website, use that promo code, and spice it up in the bag. Time to get spicy, dude. Courtesy of the two of us. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. All right, dude, let's talk about Adam's song. Do you want to play a little bit of it? It It is a single, yeah, we could. but let's play a little bit of it. Let's play it because because it's such a different song, and the subject matter is is a much more serious uh, subject matter than the rest of the, the record. So, yeah, let's play a little bit of it just to remind people what it is. Uh, if you were watching TRL or paying attention to popular music in 99 or the early 2000s, you've heard this song for sure you probably seen the music video yeah so yeah let's play that side note dude you know the drum beat he hits a, a little splash symbol oh yeah i bought a splash symbol because of this song yeah that's awesome uh, yeah J- travis barker is he is the reason i became a drummer this album is the reason i started drumming i mean I, it's probably the same to say that, that that that's why i picked up a guitar and i remember us practicing and playing this song together yeah many times I remember that. and i remember um thinking it was so cool to like try to match the the reverb yeah you know that he has on his guitar like you know i think i had my first amp was like like a behringer like a little tiny behringer amp that actually had some built-in I effects that, to it which was kind of cool i wish i still had that thing man i really do yeah the thing was badass anyway um so let's talk about the lyrics dude um this was a really important song for me yeah like, yeah, this is about, okay, it's basically a suicide note, right? Yes. Um. Now, I was nowhere near suicidal back then, you know, and I, I honestly, I don't didn't know anyone like really well, like I wasn't friends with anyone that at least on the outside that, you know, that I knew was suicidal. So I couldn't connect with it in that way, but I knew what it was about and I knew how important a song like this was at the time. Yes. And and uh, so basically, Mark wrote the lyrics for this one. It's a metaphor, Adam, this person, Adam, it's a metaphor for his depression uh, that he experienced while on tour with Blink-182. So he says that Tom and Travis always had girlfriends waiting back home. So they had something to look forward to at the end of the tour. But I didn't. So it was always like, I was lonely on tour. But then I got home, and it didn't matter because there was nothing there for me anyway. Yeah. So I don't know if he necessarily got suicidal, but he wanted to, you know, express how depression made him feel, uh, and this is the result of that. And the lyric that always stood out to me, which is heart, heartbreaking if you think about it, the very last, or at least uh, the second verse. You know, the end of the first verse. It's I'm too depressed to go on. You'll be sorry when I'm gone into the second verse is please tell mom this is not her fault yeah that's a super um very deep very uh depressing thought but that's what you write down like hey this is not like you know suicide notes you you want to make sure that nobody thinks that that they could have done anything to prevent it you know here's what makes this such an important song especially for teenagers who were super into Blink and were, you know, flipping through the, the booklet of lyrics that came with this album, the very last rendition of the chorus, they flip it from past tense to future tense. It's basically him overcoming the depression and realizing that there there is a reason to go on It's not that tomorrow held such better days and I can't see any better days ahead of me. It's that tomorrow is going to hold much better days, days that I can still feel alive. I can't wait to go outside. Yeah. And that's important too, because like, you know, you remember leading up to that, that change, there's that piano that gets added to the song, which is really interesting. They add a piano. Like uplifting kind of Yeah, things are looking up. It's great, man. That, that always stuck with me, dude. Always here's the thing. So this is apparently, um, I didn't hear this at the time, probably cause we were too young, but in 2000, a year later, um, well, I guess it wasn't exactly 2000. It was, it was shortly afterwards. Anyway, after the Columbine high school shooting, this song in particular was playing in, in the bedroom of a kid named Greg Barnes when he hung himself It was playing on repeat. Now he was a friend of somebody who died in the Columbine high school shooting a year earlier. So I'm sorry. It was playing in the garage. He hung himself in the garage. His parents came in and saw that. And Adam song was playing on repeat on the stereo, which is insane to think about, but it, it means that, you know, the song connected with people, um, the intent of the ending of the song was obviously to try to flip it and, and try to remind people that like, there's better days ahead and stuff. Right. But obviously it, you know, some people were, were too, too depressed and were are connecting with the song in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, it, it, like I said, uh, you know, this song has a legacy of, of being more serious than the band itself. Right. Yeah. Uh, T- taking a, a topic like suicide and throwing it onto a, a punk rock album about, you know, jacking off and <laughs> diarrhea and all that stuff. Right. So it's, it's interesting, but you know, it, that's what made blink way to as successful as they were on TRL. They can go from a video of them running around naked to a video of them tackling a subject matter like depression and suicide. So, yeah. Anyway. And you know what, that, that kind of points to the, importance of punk rock reaching the mainstream and like later on emo music reaching the mainstream because they do tackle this kind of stuff yeah emo music especially yeah uh it talks about just when you read the lyrics and really break down what they're talking about it's juvenile stuff man you know like mostly it's about breakups and and oh you know i'm so upset about this relationship or whatever we're gonna be diving into an album that is oh yeah heavy on the breakup material. Oh my god, dude! I can't wait to talk about but that right in a beautiful way. Yeah, dude, I'm excited too. Yes, that's gonna be a great. But and no one knows what we're talking about right now, so who cares? Let's move on. Yeah, <laughs> we're just excited, man.
0: Yeah, um, we're excited
1: about the uh the the bands to come down the pike here. Yeah. Well, that's it, huh? You know, honestly, with this album, we could have played every single song on the record. Yeah, and we talked about it too because the songs are usually not even three minutes long. You know? Yeah, those are a handful of of our favorite non-singles. If pop punk is up your alley, this is this is a defining album for for pop punk music. And it it you know it kind of in a way sort of defined defined a generation. Um, yeah, in in some ways. I mean, not it defined a certain sect of of. So here's the here's this stood out to me. This is what this record is, Q. So I read a uh, one of those other, you know, look back articles from kerang.com and the author called it a masterclass in polished bullshit. <laughs> nice. And that's a great way to put it because and, uh, the polish part of it. Yeah. I think comes from Travis Barker. Honestly, that's his drumming ele- elevates this record. Oh, yeah. To something way more than just a, a simple punk rock record. Because when you go back and listen to Dude Ranch and listen to the single Damn It, it just sounds way more amateur. Yeah, it does. You know? And it wasn't even that much earlier. Yeah. And obviously, there's a there's a lot of credit has to go to, uh, you know, the producer of Enema of the State. Let me look up his name. yeah <laughs> uh, How is this not? Oh, Jerry Finn produced the record, uh, you know, and he's he is known for. <sighs> what do <you> know for? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, Green Day. <laughs> yeah. So when you go from Damon to End of the State, and you introduce the producer Jerry Finn, who did Dookie, he took it along he, with a bunch of other he stuff. Took it, he, yeah. Along with all the Dookie he's taken. <laughs> he also produced dookie. Yeah. I feel like our I feel like our our middle school days are back, dude. Well see? I got that toilet humor, dude. Yeah. When you listen to Blink Two, you start making dookie jokes. So that producer really took a, a nice steaming pile on Blink and they were better off for it. He left his mark for sure. He left his skid mark. <laughs> yes well let let me quote someone else real quick i don't even know who who wrote this i just copied and pasted it into my notes he said these three snot-nosed san diego punks bottled suburban angst and distilled it into bright shiny pop songs that might as well have been state issued to every american teen yeah that's a perfect way to to sum it up for sure anyway all right dude let's wrap it up um Let's let's do our what you heard. What have you been hearing? <laughs> the what you heard segment where we talk about what you heard. Any kind of song that we listened to since the last time we spoke. Um, I can go first. Go ahead. All right. This is actually going to stem from a what what I've watched. <laughs> what have I watched? I've talked to you about this queue privately. It's a show called Devs, and it is on FX. Written and directed by a guy named Alex Garland, who is known for Ex Machina and Annihilation, two of my favorite films. Ex Machina is probably one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. This TV show is now probably my favorite piece of work from him, and one of my favorite TV shows now of all time. It is amazing. It's got Nick Offerman in it of Parks and Rec fame. He played... Ron Swanson, Uh, but it is not a comedy. It's a a smart, cerebral sci-fi about a tech company that is building a mysterious piece of software system. That's all I'm going to say. I don't want to give away anything. Curiouser and Curiouser. The music is amazing. It's by the same duo, these two composers that did Ex Machina and did Annihilation. They have this really amazing way of kind of throwing in these stings, you know, like a music sting. Mm -hmm. Um, And they bring the A-game again. But on top of that, the music itself that is played throughout the series, separate from the score, right? Uh, So they've got like – and this is funny. This must be something with Alex. He must really like Crosby, Stills, and Nash because he played a song on – Annihilation, that I think is a Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young song. And then on this TV show, he plays Winnevere, which is one of the songs that you and I talked about. Oh, yeah. On our episode about Crosby, Stills, Nash. That's one of our early episodes, if you want to go back and listen to that. So I was just you know listening to the songs, and I came across this band that I had never heard of before that um, really were pretty interesting. Uh, This song in particular that we're going to play – It's called The Zoo, and this is a band called Fuse, F-E-W-S, and it sounds very much like a Interpol-type post-punk garage kind of sound, right? That kind of angular guitars, Um, but the, the rest of the record is kind of shoegazy. So they're kind of a shoegaze band, but they've got that... They've got the sort of angular guitars of like an Interpol, uh, which make them really interesting. So anyway, again, this song is called The Zoo. It's by a band called Fuse. It's fucking great, man. Yeah, man, it's really good. It's great. So You said yeah. that a lot of their their music is is a little bit more ambient, uh, a little bit more shoegazy. Okay, is it lyrical though? Yes, yes. Cool. Yeah, I like uh, it. But what I liked about the first track um, was it's it's instrumental nice. and it sounded a lot like that song. So I was thinking the whole record was going to be like that. Uh, it's not, which is fine. It, they have a they have a great sound, um, regardless. Um, but it's very it kind of reminded me of dive um one of the bands that we talked about i think that was on my my top 10 of of 2019 list Mm -hmm. last year uh so anyway shoegazy um but they've got that post-punk flair kind of like the editors or or interpol yeah block party you know the the way the guitars sound right right so yeah love it anyway good stuff um all right q um go check out the tv show devs if you not ready. I'll give it a whirl. Uh, yeah. All right, Q. Uh, what you got for us? All right, dude. Have you heard of a band called Pile? P I L E. I have not. So, I'm just gonna get cut to the chase, dude. I don't know where they fall under. They're a little bit post-hardcore. I don't know. Kind of like a uh, stoner rock is the right word, but um kind of like a jam band i don't know dude i'm rambling here but he the the guy's vocal delivery is really interesting it's kind of like i don't know lazy i don't know uh let's just fucking listen to it this is an album of theirs from 2012 it's called dripping and the song i'm gonna play is called prom song Yeah, it's really good, man. Um, you just know that those guys would put on a killer show. Oh, yeah. Like, amazing show. There's not much, like, overproduction on that. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's a band. That's a rock band. You know what I mean? It's a band that could just probably jam for hours and just spin gold. All right, man. Let's wrap it up. All right, Drive, where can, where can they find us? So you can find us on our website, nofillerpodcast.com, where you can find all of our previous episodes along with show notes for each episode. But you can also find us on the Pantheon Podcast Network, which is a network of like-minded music podcasts. Uh, basically, it's your one-stop shop for any and every type of musical content you could possibly want dude let me tell you what i'm excited about man this guy just joined the network like last week uh it's a podcast called sample excavator where he dives into sampled sound in music and kind of pieces together the history behind sampled material in songs that is cool yeah dude all right that's it enough talking this is the first episode in our back to school set list of episodes here, uh, so we got a lot more, a lot more whiny bullshit coming your way if you really <laughs> want to get down to it, because that's the kind of music we were listening to. Yeah, dude, and we got to wrap it up because I'm about to be late to history class. Please. Yes, that's right. That bell's about uh, to ring. I knew it. Don't want to be, don't want to be tardy to the party. All right, Q. That's that. Uh, my name is Travis, and my name is Quentin. Thank you as always for listening. Y'all take care. Later.
2: And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And you still act like your impression. in What the hell is wrong with me? My friends say I should have my age. What's wrong with That's about the time that she broke up with me. No one should take themselves so seriously. With many years ahead to fall in love. Why would you wish down on me? I never wanna act like my age. What's my age again? What's my age again?
0: everyone we're your beer drinking babes i'm ashley and i'm naggy and we're from rock candy podcast every week we bring you a story from the world of music while drinking thematic beers did you ever wonder how much charles manson inspired the music you
2: love today did you know that joy division and new order are virtually the same band are
0: you aware of how weird kesha really is like how she had sex with a ghost do you also not understand what post malone is Because we don't. Well, we got you
2: covered. Behind the Music isn't around anymore, but we're here to pick up the slack. And
0: be a little drunker.
2: Yeah, so go ahead and look for Rock Candy Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you catch your pods. And with that, party on, kids. Party on.